The reading is from Nehemiah chapter 7. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 7, and then verses 66 to 73. And it's on page 489 of the Church Bibles. And I'd encourage you to follow it in the Church Bible so you can see the verses in between each section. So it's Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1 on page 489. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanan, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, make them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. These are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. In company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahumani, Mordecai, Bilsham, Mispereth, Bigvi, Neham, and Banha. The list of the men of Israel. The priests. The Levites. The musicians. The gatekeepers. The temple servants. The descendants of the servants of Solomon. And from among the priests. Now going to verse 66. The whole company numbered 42,360, besides their 7,337 male and female slaves. And they also had 245 male and female singers. There were 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. Some of the heads of the families contributed to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 darak of gold, 50 bowls, and 530 garments for priests. Some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury for the work 20,000 daraks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. The total given by the rest of the people was 20,000 daraks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 garments for priests. 
the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. This is the word of the Lord. So never let it be said that I'm not kind about a reading. <laughs> I didn't make her read all the, 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 um, the names. Thank you, Helen. Just move this back a bit. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, do keep that open um, in front of you so we'll be looking at it together. But let me pray as we begin. Oh God, our Father, we, we thank you. We thank you and praise you for this day. And we pray as we come before your word that we'd have hearts that are open to you. Please be our, our teacher by your spirit, we pray. And in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today uh, we start um, part two of, of Nehemiah under the title Growing the Community. Um, we looked at chapters one to six back in 2017. How many were here in 2017? And this time last year, so three years ago, not, not that many. So um, uh, just to fill you in, a little bit of the background, um, just to get us orientated. The people of God uh, were in exile in Babylon and had been there for, for 70 years because they had rebelled against God over and over again. And uh, the then superpower, Persia, um, allows the people to return to Jerusalem. Um, and they return in, in rather drips and drabs, but the, the city is in ruins. And Nehemiah, who, who works, who, who is a Jew, and, but works for King Artaxus, hears that the city is in ruins. And God puts it on his heart um, to rebuild the wall that goes around Jerusalem. He's allowed to go, and he settles and rebuilds the wall. And, of course, there are ups and downs, and you can read all about that in the first half. He faces oppositions, but it takes 52 days in all for the wall um, to be built. And so we pick up the story here in chapter um, 7, in verse 1. After the wall had been rebuilt. And notice it says after. After, after the wall had been rebuilt. There's a, the, the, after the project has been done and completed. Uh, and it means that the project, although it was important, wasn't the important, the most important thing. It served a, a greater purpose for us. And so I think it's true to say for us as a church, we often have a, a project mentality, don't we, to to the way that we do things. Um, I think you can probably name lots of projects we've done as a, as a church community. Uh, of course, a recent one is that we've changed to two morning services. Um, but of course, that project is not, changing that is not an end in itself. There has to be, there is an after. There's always an after to a project. God wants something more than those projects. He wants us to grow. And he wants us to grow as a community and grow as disciples. And that's what this whole year is very much about. There's never a time when he actually says it's completed. 
when we can kind of put our feet up. And so now Nehemiah, um, in chapters 7 to 12, five chapters, um, is really one chunk. And it covers lots of grounds. And the major theme that runs throughout this section is the restoration of the people of God in the holy city in Jerusalem as they come back. It's, it's about a community coming together uh, before the Lord. It's very interestingly as well is that Nehemiah, after verse 5, is only mentioned three times in the five chapters. He virtually drops out of the story. This section is um, also one thing to note, is, is virtually identical to what's found in the book of Ezra, uh, uh, which covers a similar part of the history. And so it's clearly uh, material that's not original to Nehemiah. He, he's using it, but he's incorporating it into his own account. And why is he doing that? He's helping us see, he wants us to see, the bigger picture for which the rebuilding of the wall uh, that project was meant to point to. So in a sense, this is no sort of, Nehemiah has the title on the book, but it's no sort of self-indulgent um, uh, autobiography, you know, Nehemiah, me and my wall, or whatever you get those uh, behind the wall, one man's DIY project or something. Um, none of that. God is the centre. God is the centre because he's bringing his people back before him as a community. Okay, so four things about this, about being a grow, growing community, and hopefully they'll appear. The first thing is a growing community requires godly leadership. So verse one, after the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem, my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. So even with the wall um, completed, Jerusalem must have looked a right mess. Yes, there's a wall, but inside it must have looked pretty much like a war-torn city that you would see perhaps on the news. Piles of rubble anywhere, none of the houses have been built. And it's not exactly the kind of place that you would want to bring up perhaps kids and be a kind of community, is it? It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a mess. Uh, and um, until the wall had been completed, Jerusalem was, a, was very much a dangerous place because it had no security, no protection. It wasn't safe. And many exiles that returned, they didn't actually settle back in Jerusalem straight away. They settled around in the outlying villages. But this is God's city. This is where God dwelled with his people. And so Nehemiah's first task was to secure the city so people could return. But secondly, he, he goes straight into appointing um, leaders, trusted people to take charge. There's his brother here, Hananiah, who uh, in the, uh, back in chapter 1, he was the one who cared enough about what he'd seen in Jerusalem um, to travel the four-month uh, long journey back to Susa in Persia to tell Nehemiah about the state of the city. He cared about the city. He had a love for God. He cared about the city. And then there's Hananiah, who's recorded here as a man of integrity and feared God. So you see something of Nehemiah's criteria for leadership. People who had demonstrated love for God, 
who cared about the God city was in ruins, that he wanted to do something about it, and someone of integrity and who feared God. And I think we can learn much about the appointment of leadership through this. So that's the first point. After securing the city, Nehemiah appoints godly leadership. But then he goes on to show us that a growing community requires prayerful decisions. It requires prayerful decisions. Nehemiah decides who should live in God's city. How's he going to decide? It's an important question. Was it just kind of a whoever, whoever fancies it? But no, verse 5. So my God put it on my heart. God put it into my heart. He didn't just dream this up on the spot. And if you go back to chapters 1 to 6, which I encourage you to do that, you'll find that Nehemiah is a man of prayer. And he makes decisions based on prayer. Throughout, uh, he has shown that. And so it's put on his heart by God to assemble the nobles, the officials and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical records of those who had been first to return. This is what he found written there. And so he begins to list the people. Now, Nehemiah here, he obviously got hold of the records. He dug them out. And he goes through the people who came back first, which is very interesting. Who came back first? Who were, when they were given permission to go back, who went back first? He finds out. It's interesting if you go to look at Ezra, written at a similar time in chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. Everyone whose heart God had moved prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. You see, what's being said and what we need to understand here about the history is that not everybody just rushed back to Jerusalem and to Judea. In that time, it wasn't exactly a kind of long queue of people saying, oh, I'll go back to a, a ruined, war-torn city that, you know, it is basically a mess. In the 70 years, people had, of course, they'd settled into their new life in, in Babylon. They had got used to it. They got comfortable lives. They, they liked the status quo. And so when the opportunity to go back to God's city came along, they didn't actually, many of them didn't take it. In fact, many never went back home. They had become really comfortable with the life that they had in Babylon. Um, I was, as I was thinking about this, I, I was reminded of John Piper. He's a, he's a pastor in America, in Minnesota. He tells this story, quite a famous story, about the time he received news that two missionaries had been um, uh, killed. Uh, Ruby and Laura were their names. They were killed in, in Cameroon. Uh, and Ruby was over 80, uh, a nurse. She poured all her life into this one thing, which was to make Jesus Christ known in Cameroon, to help the sick and the poor and the hardest-reached community. She poured her life into that. Laura was a colleague who was, again, nearly 80, a doctor who had retired and wanted to go to the villages, to, from village to village, to help the Cameroon people. And, of course, one day the, their brakes gave way of their car and they went over a cliff and they died instantly. And he asked, 
when he writes this story, he asks, is this a tragedy? Is this a tragedy? Uh, Two women, uh, and uh, it's a a question, it's an important question, because he, he then wants to say, well, what is our life about? Two women in their 80s devoted their lives to the idea that Jesus Christ should be glorified and magnified and and the poor and the sick reached in the hardest place. And so he he concludes, he says, it's not a tragedy. And then he goes on and says, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. And I'll quote this. Piper quotes from uh, Reader's Digest. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the North East five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Porta Gorda in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball and collect shells. And he says that's a tragedy. Do you get what he's getting at? He says, we, we live in a world that pumps the uncomfortable life out to us 24-7. Have the comfortable life. And he says, don't buy it. He pleads with us, don't buy the dream. As the last chapter of before you stand, you and I stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did with your life. Here it is, my Lord. I collected shells. I've got a great golf swing. And he, say, he, say, he challenges people to say, don't waste your life. Now, I'm not saying, and he's not saying that you need to go to Cameroon to, to uh, live a life for the Lord. He's not saying that. Nehemiah was, was looking for those who didn't want to waste their life. They, he was looking for people who had a heart for the, what God wanted. And that's what we should all be looking for. He, was, he found that some uh, whose spirit God had stirred up, who had made the long journey home, who were first to go, who really wanted to get there. Nehemiah wants Jerusalem to be inhabited by those who long, who ache for the city because the spirit of God had moved their hearts to do so. And so I think, you know, it's important if we ask ourselves, I ask myself, are we moved in this way to, by the Spirit of God to serve God, to serve his salvation, to desire to seek and to save the lost? Or are you just kind of going through the motions? It's quite a challenging thought, isn't it? Growing a community uh, requires prayerful decisions, and we have to make that prayerful decisions. But thirdly, growing a community requires people coming together. Nehemiah lists people who've made their way um, back from exile, and you forget those from verse 8 all the way through to verse 65. And it's tempting, isn't it, to to just kind of gloss over these and move on. But these names here are are really here for a reason. God wants us uh, to have them in his word. Um, And as we look at them, we start to recognize some of the reminders here of of God's um, story, his salvation plan. The the returners were were mostly from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. It's from Judah that promised Messiah would come. 
And in verse 7, Nehemiah made a list of the leaders. And it's interesting to note that how many, if you count up the number of leaders, important to see the number of names there. How many names are there of those leaders? There's 12. Just as there were uh, uh, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Jacob who led the people, and just as God's people were led uh, in the future by 12 apostles. And here in Nehemiah, we have again, we see 12 men whose spirit God has stirred up to rebuild Jerusalem. Also, if you go to Ezra again, which covers similar uh, sections, chapter 6 in Ezra, the people of God were joined by all sorts of other people. They weren't all just um, Israelites. There were descendants who had come to know the Lord from other places, from other nations. And this is what exactly we've seen, you see, all through the Bible. It happened in Exodus when they left Egypt. Um, Egyptians went with the Israelites when they left with Moses. And we see this all the time. Rahab, Ruth, and many others. People from every tongue, tribe, nation. And as God calls us together as a community... He will be adding to our number from all kinds of places and different places and different peoples. Just as happened in the very beginning of the early church, as we read uh, Acts 2, it says, as they broke bread, as they devoted themselves to Scripture, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, God is bringing his people back. He's adding to them from surprising places, not just from one particular place. And isn't that great? It's wonderful. This isn't just a a load of unpronounceable names. God's people aren't nameless. They're not faceless. Everybody matters. Just as Jesus said, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. God wants us to rejoice, even in a list of names. Rejoice that our name is written in the book of life. That our name is secure. for the new Jerusalem with him forever. That surely must give us um, strength, I think, when we think about that, uh, when we face um, certain kinds of troubles in life, to know that we're not just a faceless um, number, we're actually a name before God and he knows us by name. It it helps us to face disappointments. I don't know what, a a disappointment that maybe our name wasn't the name in the, got the promotion. Or maybe the disappointment, it wasn't our name that was on the list for the operation that we've been longing for, on, on the operation list. That our name wasn't in the A category for that examination that we got, that we had. But you see, it doesn't matter in God's kingdom, the names are all written and they cannot be blotted out. And so verse 66 tells us that nearly... 50,000 returned to the cities whose hearts had been moved by God to seek him, to worship him, to serve him. And not only that, you see the response that they give as well in their, their wealth. And they give a massive offering. Verse 70 tells us the contribution that they made. They put their money where their mouth was. And I don't say that you know, to, for us to go on a guilt trip about our giving or anything... But we see here people coming to God. And when we come together as a community, it must affect us and change us um, to be giving generous people. And they, need, and they uh, did that. And we can do that as we seek to see God's kingdom built. So a growing community 
um, requires a coming together, but it also, and finally, requires uh, to hear from him. It requires us to hear from him. Verse 73. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns. Now, notice the seventh month. It's important to notice the seventh month. It's hugely significant. We can easily miss it, just as the seventh day was the Sabbath, and that, that they were supposed to stop and rest, um, just as the, every seventh year was also a holy uh, year that, uh, that the land was supposed to be given rest, the ground. So the seventh month was set apart for something special, something very special. And Leviticus 23 tells us that the Lord said, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. And so we read, all the people, verse 1 of chapter 8, all the people came together as in one square before the water gate. Everybody came. Everyone assembled. Men, women. They didn't go to the temple which was in ruins anyway, they came together at the Watergate in a, an area of a community area, the Watergate, and they stopped. They rested. And what did they do? They came together as one. They came together, all the people came together as one. I guess it was like the community space. They came together as one and they came for one thing. They wanted to hear from God. They wanted to hear from God. And they simply said, open the book. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for this passage from Nehemiah 7. Father, we thank you for what it shows us about being a growing community. Father, we do pray for for godly leadership. We pray for for prayerful decisions. We pray uh, that we would be a people together, drawn from different places. And Father, we pray that we would be ready, that we would be still, that we would be at rest, ready to hear from you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.